Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Nearly everything we do in church, from missionary work and ministering efforts, to baptisms and temple work, hinges on an underlying question. Who is the church for? Is the project of the restoration to find and shepherd the elect of God to exaltation in the next life? Or is it to create a Zion community here that strives to include those on the margins, the way Jesus ministered? Should it be one or the other? It seems to us that there's an implicit discourse around this question playing out on social media, in church meetings, in books and articles and podcasts, and even in forums like General Conference. And it has significant implications. The answer holds real weight as we participate in the work of the Restoration. But not just that. What does it say about the nature of God? This past conference, President Dallin Oaks declared, The purpose of this restored church is to prepare God's children for salvation in the celestial glory, and more particularly for exaltation in its highest degree. In theory, that destiny is available to all God's children. But what about the multitudes of God's children who may seem to be left behind? Those for whom any quest for exaltation seems buried under conditions like grinding poverty and mental illness, abuse, or other serious obstacles to thriving. Is the restored church for them too? We thought it could be important and helpful to have an explicit conversation around this question that's often felt more than heard. And we think that we ended up with the perfect conversation partner and somebody that many of you know and love and admire as much as we do, Patrick Mason. Patrick helped us walk through some of this tricky territory with his signature blend of love for the church, enthusiasm about the restoration, and clear-eyed realism about where we are as a community and a tradition, and where we could hope to go. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Patrick, he's the Leonard Arrington Chair of Mormon History and Culture at Utah State University, and has been a frequent guest on this show and is a longtime friend and advisor to Faith Matters. We'll go ahead and jump right in with that intro, but we'd also encourage you, if you haven't already, to pick up Patrick's book, Restoration, which is published by Faith Matters. It explores some similar ground and is ultimately a beautiful and inspiring vision of what the church's third century could look like. We're huge fans of the book, and we've come back to it many times, and we think it'd make a great gift as well. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this conversation with Patrick Mason. Okay, well, Patrick, thank you so much for being here, and welcome welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Tim and Aubrey. Always a pleasure. Love being with you guys. Yeah, same. Um, so for this episode, we've we've been sort of like behind the scenes at Faith Matters talking about um, some what what I think is a really interesting topic and some really interesting questions. And what they kind of get at is that I guess there it feels like, at least from my perspective, that there is within the church and within the within the tradition, it seems like there are emerging potentially some competing perspectives on who the church who the church is actually for. Um, on one, like one, one of these visions for who the church is for might be, um, that we are for the, call it the spiritual elite, you know, and that the church is primarily to get these spiritual elite, you know, the few chosen sort of, and maybe this is not exactly a steel manning of this argument, but, um, let's say to get the spiritual elite through the eye of the needle into the highest, you know, the highest level of the, of the celestial kingdom. Um, another, another of these visions might be, um, might be the idea that the restoration is all about, uh, you know, producing human flourishing. In your book, in your book, Patrick, you talk about the the gathering of Israel as sort of an, a reaching out to the marginalized and, um, you know, gathering people into into Christ's uh, fold. Um, so I guess the first question I want to ask you is: Are you feeling, to some extent, are you feeling what we're feeling in your mind? Are there are there different visions, sort of like competing for? Uh, competing for prominence within, uh, you know, within our community? Yeah, such a great question. And and I think the answer is yes. I, I do think there's there's this pull, there's this this kind of tension uh, within the church. Uh, and, and for me, 
I think it's always been there. Yeah. I, I think when 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 you look at and and not just uh, in in the restored church, but I, I think you look throughout scriptures, uh, whether it be the the Hebrew Bible, whether it be the New Testament, you know, there's there's always this pull and and this tug, but but between you know the the chosen, right? All this talk in 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 the Bible about how God calls His chosen people, and there's this universal message as as, as well. Um, uh, New Testament as, as as well, right? And, and it's it's the tension in some ways between Peter and Paul, uh, in, in terms of what what the church looks like. And so, so yes, I th- I think it's there, but I'm also not super stressed out about it. Like, in, I I don't think it's an existential threat to the church because I think it's always been there. Um, for, I guess this is partly where I come at it, you know, just in terms of the way I think about conflict. It's it's the conflict is is natural. It's going to be part of human relationships. It's going to be part of organizations, and conflict isn't the problem. The, the the question is, what do we do with it? How do we engage it? Is it going to be cons- become constructive? Is is this conversation? Is this tension? Is it going to lead to something better? Um, the way the paradox can, or will this pull us apart? Yeah. yeah. So do you feel like this is a conversation that is always happening or are you saying throughout different eras in our history we may we may um emphasize one or the other one over the other or is this something that is always in tension no matter the time period yeah, well, I think there's always these elements, the particular versus the general, the the, the okay. universal versus the the particular. I think they're always there but probably at different times one of those elephant elements might get uh emphasized. Okay. A, a little okay. bit more. And so this is, and, and sometimes they're like an equal tension uh, with one another. And so, uh, yeah, but I, I think it's, that's, that's always there. And I guess the, the next like important question to me then is like, who gets to decide what we're huh. emphasizing? And is that just whoever has a microphone, like whoever's voice is the loudest, that's what's going to feel like it's important right now? Or is this something that the body of Christ, the, like the congregations are also negotiating with leaders? Do you think? I, I think it's all of the above. I mean, th- yeah. there's no doubt that that the people, um, you know, that general authorities have an enormous amount of influence uh, yeah. uh, within the church uh, because of the pulpit, because of the power of general conference, uh, because of the way that we raise our mm-hmm. hand and sustain them as general authorities. No, nobody sustains me as a general authority, uh, thank goodness. Um, but 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 this is part of the, the structure of the church. Uh, and so they do speak to the entire church and they speak in these kinds of general terms. There's a kind of bully pulpit there or, or, or you know, yeah. uh, using a kind of political metaphor. But 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 the body of the church clearly has uh, a, a lot of influence and a lot of authority here just in terms of what is received. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, so it's it, it can be about ideas that are generated at the grassroots that filter up, but but it's also about what what are the messages that are pe- preached from the pul- pulpit that are received by the body of Christ and incorporated mm-hmm. in into the body of Christ, and 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 of course it it that's going to land differently. I mean, we we all know this, right? The the one general conference talk that means like nothing to you uh, was really meaningful to, to the person sitting next to you when you talk about it in Relief Society. Right? That, that, yeah. That's just the way it's going to be. And so so I, I think the way that church doctrine gets shaped over time, it's kind of gradual, it's kind of organic, but it's what 
most of the body seems to resonate with most of the time, mm. right? It, it, it's even hard to put 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 your finger on it, but there is a kind of sensibility. Like I just like the church feels kind of different to me now than it did when I was growing up, um, and uh, in, in in certain ways. And I can point to a few landmark general conference talks that move the needle, but it's also just like the overall feeling of 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 the church. I know that's yeah. kind of squishy, what? Um, but but I think there's a kind of squishiness that that's inherent yeah. to it. Do you have any examples to to point to? Because I agree with you, um, but I'm curious what your uh, what your what you feel is a little bit different. And and do you do you mean that in a good way? Well, it's always. I, I think there's always a mix. Um, I think for for me that the most important and and clearly positive thing is just how jesus centered we've become um i believed in jesus all growing up i mean th- th- there wasn't you know a time where like jesus was absent uh uh but but i mean I, I think Jesus really is central. The atonement of Jesus Christ is central to to our teaching. I, I think there's a lot more we can do with that. There's, you know, we can uh, we can sort of plumb those depths a little bit more. But I, I just hear it. I hear it at the general conference level. But I hear it in my ward. I hear it when I talk to people. We are we have become a Jesus people. We've become an atonement centered people, and it and in a way that I think was was less true uh, forty years ago. Um, so I, I see that as as hugely uh, positive. Like, how did that exactly happen? I can point to a few things, right? But but it's also just kind of the. I think the membership of the church got converted to Jesus over over the past <laughs> couple of generations, and yeah, and that's that's a pretty great thing. I think that's right, and I know you're a fellow fan of the General Conference Corpus online. The uh, yes. that shows yeah. <laughs> the number of mentions in a given you know year or decade, and I. I just saw that the uh, the term Christ has been used in the 2020s almost as many times already, and it's the end of 2023 as it used in all, as it was used in all of the 1980s. So yeah. I think your I think wow. your hypothesis bears out in the bears out in the data. Yeah. Whereas if you compare, I haven't done this, but I'll bet uh, hypothesis here that if you did food storage, you'd find an inverse <laughs> relationship wow. there. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So do you think I, it's okay. just a matter of like pendulum swinging, and this is and this is just going to always be uncomfortable in one way or another. And that's just the nature of, you know, community gathering. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's, it's the nature of, of uh, a, a church that, that claims uh, some kind of special relationship with God. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so on the one, and again, this goes all the way back. You can think about the Israelites and, and, and the old Testament too, right? That it's, it's the same kind of tension. Okay. We, we we feel uh, we we've experienced some kind of special connection to God, right? Through prophets, through revelation, through our own experience as as a people, and and like that means a lot to us. That that is special. That 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 is like we we don't want to put that aside. Um, but at the same time, there are all these other people out there, right? Yeah. And uh, and how do we think about? them. And so so I think at times in our history we've been really inward focused and and focused on that special relationship, right? And and nurtured mm-hmm. that and thought about what it meant uh to enter into covenants and to have revelation and prophets and and kind of God talking to us uh as a people. But then especially now, I think over the past half century as we've sort of scattered around the world, um it's not just an intermountain west religion anymore. It's kind of like, wait a minute, there are all these other people out there too. And and that sent us back into our own tradition to say, oh wait a minute, God told us all along that he loved everybody. 
right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so what does that mean to be part of a church um, where we still feel kind of special, but maybe you know Israel and 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 Jews in in the um, as as they came to understand their own tradition, they said, uh, you know, God called us, but what did He call us to do? To serve the rest of the world, right? So, so if if there's a special calling, it's it's to be a servant, not to not to be a leader, or not not to be um, kind of above other people. And and maybe there's there's something like that going on in our tradition too. Again, what is you know we want to hold on to what's really special about what's God what God has done and is doing among us, while also recognizing that our heavenly parents love all of their children just as much as they love us. Yeah, I think that's a really compelling vision. I'm I'm curious to what extent. So we sort of like, I, I think you've sort of accepted the premise that there is, uh, you know, there are these competing visions of who the church is for. That maybe that's not uh, unique at all to our time and place. Um, but I'm curious to what extent you see those competing visions actually playing out in forums like General Conference itself. Like if you look at the, so like from it. From my perspective, if I look at the October 2023 General Conference, I actually do feel like I see a couple of different visions. Um, and even, you know, somewhat specifically, you know, President Nelson and President Oaks's talk, I did feel like, and I, I, you know, like based on the little bit of time that I spent on social media, I felt like this was, you know, also felt by other people. I did feel like it was sort of a focus on, um, it was that focus a little bit on the uh, so-called, you know, spiritual elite, like uh, President Oaks, for example, said that the highest destination, that highest destination, exaltation in the celestial kingdom is the focus of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, um, and and yet, there were other parts of General Conference where I felt like it was very much that that message of God's love is for everybody. Um, it's not, and it did not seem focused on that, you know, not just the celestial kingdom, but the highest level of the celestial kingdom. It felt like a little bit more um, and I'm just trying to be open and vulnerable here, but a little bit more arms wide open. Um, did you did you hear that, or what? What are any thoughts that are coming up? Yeah, I I, I think we can see that across all the different talks within General Conference, but I think we can even see that within President Oaks's talk itself, with, within mm. the exact same talk. So 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 we have passages like that 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 you read, um, but later in the talk, actually, kind of as as he's closing, he. Um, he says, there's much we do not know about the three major periods in the plan of salvation and the relationship to one another. So there's a kind of humility uh, there, like, hey, the, we still have a lot of questions. There's, there are a lot of details that, that we don't have uh, fleshed out. But he says, here are some things we do know. And he says, we have a loving heavenly father who will see that we receive every blessing and every advantage that our own desires and choices allow. Right there's this kind of universal sense, right? The the that uh, that we have a loving God who will not withhold blessings, uh, you know, from 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 any of their children, children, right? And so, so I I think there's there's this kind of productive tension even within President Oaks's talk mm-hmm. between this universal promise of blessings to to everybody who wants to be in relationship with God, uh, and and he does. Uh, one of the things that President Oak does right before that is is he goes back to Section 138, Joseph F. Smith's vision of of the of salvation of the dead, right? And this this idea that hey, wait a minute, we actually have it built within our theology that 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 these blessings, these ordinances, these covenants that that he spent so much time kind of in the first part of his talk talk 
you know, referring to and the centrality of these ordinances for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But then we have this theology. It's like, wait a minute, but this is available to, to everybody too. So, yeah. so already you've got this tension between the particular and the universal. You need to be baptized. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the path to do that. This is how you get to the celestial kingdom. And by the way, it's for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and and so so I, I I see that tension even even within his his own talk. Yeah, and I can see how there's overlap. That of course it's not mutually exclusive. That you know you're that that you would be focused on some sort of end goal, and it happens that the means look exactly the same. No, like no matter what your what your uh, what your motivation is, but it does feel like the focus on the end goal. Like if if the if we're if the focus isn't love right now the focus is like a reward in heaven that that feels like there's a harder it's harder for me to bridge that gap it feels like those those actual motivations do feel a little mutually exclusive like yeah. are you doing it for reward or are you doing it to to genuinely love who's in front of you right now so is, is that how you see it like do you think that part is mutually exclusive yeah and i'm i'm sort of with you that that i actually I mean, I'll, I'll kind of share something about myself i actually think about the next life very very little um, it just, uh, I know other people think about it more and, and, um, uh, I was just emailing with somebody who had like lots of questions about the, the next life and, and like really, really good questions. And my answer back was like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like, I, uh, I, I don't know <laughs> how are, to answer those specific yeah. questions about what the next life looks like. And frankly, I, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it partly because I, I just feel like all I have right now is what's right in front of me. Uh, it's kind of a Jesus let let tomorrow take care of itself, um, and and yeah, certainly I have, you know, I, I think it's important to think about today in in the in the context of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, and and to think about those things. But but I, I guess I just have a faith that if I'm trying to be, to be Christian in this moment, right? If I'm being as Christ-like as I can in this moment, like. All the other stuff is basically going to sort itself mm -hmm. out um, uh, yeah. over the long term. So, so I just, I just don't, I personally don't spend a lot of mental energy thinking about the celestial totally. kingdom, um, uh, because it, it just seems so remote and abstract to me in in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. but I guess that that's my sorry, Tim. I I think that so maybe my particular question is: Does it work in reverse? Like, if there yeah. is this strong emphasis on the reward. And the the ultimate degree of glory, then does it actually trickle down and make you a genuine disciple of Christ, or does it make you self interested and sort of does right. it corrupt the genuine point of the gospel? Because I, I think that's, I think that might be part of of what people feel uh, isn't resonating. Like that's maybe what's falling flat is that it feels like we don't want to believe that the point of the whole gospel is this is that we win. Yeah, like that right. just is not inspiring. That's not inspiring. And I, I, I am so open to maybe that isn't even what it meant. But I, I think those like that quote that we started with. That's the thing that it made me feel. Yeah. yeah. When even even within um, uh, within the talk, he talks about um, the the final judgment isn't just an evaluation of the sum total of good and evil acts, what we've done. Mm -hmm. It's based on the final effects of our acts and thoughts, what we've become. And he's talked okay. about this in the past as well. And yeah. I, I suspect. You know, this was a 20 minute talk. I expect if it was two hours that there'd be some part of it wow. where he says, yeah, it's 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 not about chasing the rewards. It's about becoming, you know, like yeah. Christ. 
I the analogy that came into my head, and it's and it's because I'm an American male, and so I think about sports more than I should. So I apologize. <laughs> okay, um, but but I was thinking about sports, and uh, so say in, in in the in the NBA, uh, you know, with professional basketball, you know, every single franchise uh, would say that their goal is to win a championship. Right. In, in in fact, you you wouldn't even really yeah. want to be on a franchise that says like, oh, we're not interested in championships. We're not interested in winning. Like, just go out and have a good time. Right. <laughs> so I, I think if you ask them, every general manager, every coach, like our goal is to win the championship. Right. But the Jazz right now, the Utah Jazz, sorry for everybody who's outside <laughs> Utah or doesn't care about the Jazz or doesn't care about basketball. Right. But the Jazz right now stink. They're not very good. They're not going to win a championship. But but I'm guessing that within the locker and they know they're not going to win a championship this year. But I'm guessing within the locker room, what the coach is doing is saying, hey, guys, we want to become a championship team. That's not going to happen this year. It may not even happen next year. Right. But we're going to we're going to go through the process. We're going to we're going to build all the tools. We're going to work on the skills and we're going to work on it day after day after day. We're going to lose more than we win. Um, but all of this is part of a process of becoming something that we're not today and and hopefully next year or the year after or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and so it's not the, – the championship is out there as a kind of motivation mm-hmm. for being like the best version of yourself, right? To buy into okay. a process, to buy into a system. But it actually the, – the real reward comes – in the daily transformation, the, the, the actual work that you're doing, getting better than you were yesterday, being part of this team, finding joy in in the game, yeah. uh, uh, despite you know not having a ring on your finger at the end of the season. I, maybe there's something to it, right? I mean, the <laughs> Celestial Kingdom is this kind of championship, but but the fact is, most of us are members of the Utah Jazz. Uh, uh, I certainly uh, am not going to win any championships this year, right? But but I'm I'm motivated by the idea of like, mm. wow, may, maybe I can be part of a team that gets a little bit better uh, tomorrow and next week and and next year. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that. I it, some of what you're talking about is making me wonder if that the same tension that we've talked about existing even inside you know, not just general conference, but particular talks exists in the, in the scriptures as well. And it per, perhaps it's somewhat obvious that it does, but the two scriptures that come to mind for me, both in the doctrine and covenants, you know, one in DNC 130 that says the same sociality that exists, exists among us here, among us here will exist among us there. Sort of meaning like whatever we create, it, this is the way I take it. Whatever we create relationally right now is just going to sort of be, be carried forward. So work on what, work on what matters now, like make sure that everyone is around your table today and and then you have other like you know DN70 DNC 76 which is an amazing uh section um but it does like in a little bit more specific way list out some specific requirements like if you do this and this and this this is your destination and if you do that and that then that will be your your destination yeah and so i yeah i guess i see that i see that tension there and i'm wondering if it like i want to think non-dually about this but i wonder if like if read in, at least read in isolation, maybe that's the, maybe that's the point we sh- that we shouldn't do that. But these sort of different scriptures, you know, sections of talks, whatever, point to something different about about the nature of God. When I when I think about who God is based on DNC seventy six, I think okay, so God really cares about you know specific rules that could come across somewhat arbitrary arbitrary to me, but in a charitable reading, they're probably not arbitrary to God. In you know DNC one thirty. I see a God who is saying, like, what really, really matters is those relationships. And like, at the end of the day, you, your life 
might look really different or the rules that you choose to to keep or not keep might be different than somebody else's. But all that all that I'm going to do is help you perpetuate the good in the relationships that you have now. And so like those those gods even seem a little bit different. Do you know do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and and let's throw in section 88 into the mix where it talks about that the glory and herald will be the one that you essentially want. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. one that you want to abide in. Section 93 that it's all about just growing in intelligence yeah. uh and and in light and truth. Um so we have we have these different visions. It it's interesting to me that that I think today we oftentimes read section 76 within the church. Um, as a, as a, as a bunch of rules and a bunch of like gatekeeping, right? Yeah, these are the people who go to this kingdom. These are the people who go to this kingdom. Like which one are you in? Right. (laughs) Um, and, and it seems like a lot of the way that, that most other Christians think about heaven and hell, right? Are you in, are you out? Like what's, what's the line? We just added one to the mix, right? We went from two (laughs) to three. Um, but, but when the, when the, when the revelation was received, in 1832, it's called The Vision, when Joseph Smith announced it to the church, there were a lot of people who left the church. And why? Not because of the arbitrary rules, because they thought it was too universalistic. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, 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 and, and so it's so interesting that we've sort of flipped our reading of Section 76, instead of sort of being awestruck by the, the expansiveness of it, the generosity, the, the generosity of it. Um, we 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 read it a, a, a different way, and and you know, scripture is always you know bound to interpretation and and what we bring to it and all those kinds of things. But I just see as as I look over the course of of Joseph Smith's life and the revelations that come to him. You know, if you look at the Book of Mormon, it looks like a pretty traditional heaven and hell, right? There's no three degrees in there. There's there's mm-hmm. there's no you know. So from 1830 with the Book of Mormon through the vision through all these other things that we're talking about, Section 80 uh, 130 comes in Nauvoo. Then you get to King Follett at the end of his life. It's like the vision of heaven is just like growing bigger and bigger and bigger and God's saving power is becoming more and more generous. And I think again personally this 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 is my own view. I I think this is part of the unfolding of the restoration. I think it's really reflecting on what it means to believe in a savior who who performs an infinite and eternal atonement, not a limited and finite one. And and so how how does God continue to teach us, work with us, and and sort of for us to think about what God's infinite and eternal saving work looks like? Yeah. Do you think there's any virtue in the in the tension? Like, is it? Do you think it is good for us as the as the as saints to have to feel out of alignment sometimes? Like, does that open us up into conversation? That can be good for growth, or or is it dangerous? Because and, and probably the answer is always some version of both. And but but it feels like that's the that's the scary question in the room. That like when you yeah. feel out of alignment, it's scary to to wonder if that to wonder what that means. Yeah, at its best, I mean, it's it it's it's supposed to call us to repentance, right? It's it's supposed to to lead me to self examination. Because the fact is, I'm not good enough. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not. Um, I, I'm. I'm not uh, the best version of what of my own values. Uh, and so, so, and the and and a lot of this 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 talk, whether it be of three degrees or heaven and hell, whatever the scriptures talk about, it that there's a there's a sense that as prophets use this rhetoric, it's to to kind of shake us up, to wake us up. 
um, and to say, hey, do the do the hard work of self-examination, do the hard work of going to God uh, and saying, where are the areas where where I can refine my soul further? Where are the areas where I can be more Christ-like? And, and there, a lot of that language leads to a kind of urgency uh, mm -hmm. to it. And, and, and that's what I heard from, especially from President Nelson. Right, this this sense of you know, and he quoted the Book of Mormon. You know, this time is it's this life is a probationary state. This is the time when we prepare to meet God, because there is a sense of urgency. Like, hey, why, why not repent today rather than waiting to tomorrow? Like, your life will be better. Your relationship will be with God will be better. Your relationship with other people will be better. So, um, so that's I think at its best that's what it does for me is it lends a, a kind of urgency to 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 my own process of looking at my life and 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 wanting to to come in line with um my values as a Christian better obviously depending if I'm in a different place if 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 those words land with me differently it can it, it can lead to to shame and those kinds of things that are that are counterproductive um that's that's the that's the danger of general language, right? Whether it be yeah. whether it come from scripture or whether it come from the pulpit, is that within that audience they they may receive the exact same words in in different ways. Yeah, I I did think that there was um there was a certain uh, generosity to to President Nelson's talk. There was a part where he said something like, "The good news is that um." The, the good news of the gospel is something along these lines. The good news of the gospel is that the exact same things that lead to happiness now are the same things that will mm -hmm. lead to happiness in the future. And so it was, it was like, it was sort of that same thing that we're talking about. It's like, it's not just about this eternal reward, you know, it's about, it's about flourishing now. And he also, you know, he had some really beautiful language around, um, around the atonement. Mm -hmm. It was, it was less, you know, this saving from punishment. And he said, the Savior suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind so that he can, and these are President Nelson's words now, comfort us, heal us, and rescue us in, in times of need. Not even, you know, rescue us from, from punishment, which really, which really resonated. Some of the, mm. but I, again, I think that sort of like competing vision manifests itself later in the talk, especially um, when he's talking about, um, about, you know, sort of the, the ceiling ordinance, you know, again, specifically between uh, man and woman as being the only thing that can carry relationships through. And he specifically says, if we unwisely choose to live telestial laws now, we are choosing to be resurrected with a telestial body. We are choosing not to live with our families forever. And so like that, to me, like, again, it goes back to the question of the, of the nature of God is in not just and not just like a very sort of black and white split like is god forgiving and merciful or is god like retributive and um and angry but like e it even goes to i think this sort of uniquely latter day saint um vision of god as constrained in some ways i i would imagine that this is what and i'm reading a little bit into what president nelson is saying here but uh i i would imagine that the way he sees God is that God would want continually to the for all of the possible blessings to come to us, but that there is a constraint under which God and we and everything in the universe is operating under, which is sort of these demands of you know demands of justice that cannot be that cannot be violated. And and in this case, you know, we chose not to live the celestial law, and there therefore we we can't go anywhere but somewhere outside 
outside of the celestial kingdom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What, yeah. What does this, what does it say about God? And for those of, for those of us who did struggle with this part of the talk, especially like this quote unquote, sort of sad heaven um, vision, like what, I don't know, what do we, what do we do with it? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it is a real challenge. It's, it's, it's a struggle. And um, I think a couple of things. I mean, one is that, that, I mean, President Nelson recognizes the, the, uh, uh, how nuanced and complicated this is. So if you, if you look at the talk, he, when, when he's talking about tithing and urging people to pay their tithing and, you know, mm -hmm. and the blessings of heaven, we'll, we'll, we'll and, and he talked about his own life, right? Paying yeah. a little bit of tithing early in his career and the way that, you know, his career really flourished and so forth. Well, um, and he started, he started by saying that there was a time in which he was not paying tithing and right. his wife encouraged it to, which is a, a sort of fascinating admission. I thought very, yeah, you know, very yeah, humble yeah. in a way. Um, and, uh, but then if you look at the footnote, uh, you always got to look at the footnotes. I mean, uh, I, this is, this is a, a little tick that I have as a historian. Actually, a lot of the most in interesting stuff happens in footnotes. If you look at the footnote for that, because in some ways there's a way to read that story where you're saying, I used to not pay my tithing, then I did, and everything got better. My career took off. My life was great, right? And, and look at me now. Um, but the footnote there says this is not to imply a cause and effect relationship, basically between paying tithing and your prosperity. He says, some who never pay tithing attain professional opportunities, while some who pay tithing do not. The promise is that the windows of heaven will be open to the tithe payer. The nature of the blessings will vary. Wow. That is interesting. And I did not see that footnote. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the footnotes. This and is not to imply a cause and effect relationship. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, or or earlier in 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 his talk where he's talking about ceiling, right? How important ceilings are and and and, and blessings and 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 so forth, right? You know, I, I've got to think that he's he's thinking in the back of his mind about all the single members of the church, right? We we can also extend that to LGBTQ members, right? Basically, people for whom you know they're not in a sealed relationship and maybe it's not available to them according to, to church doctrine. And he says again in a footnote. He says, of course, your agency cannot override another's agency and the intended consequences. In other words, what in other words, like um, people make choices in this life, and we aren't fully free agents, right? We 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 operate in this web of relationships and structures and and all these kinds of things that happen. He talks about his own, you know, desire to be sealed to his parents, and it didn't happen until very late in life after they joined the church and went to the temple and so forth. So so there there's um, yeah, there's there's this kind of doctrinal proclamation, right, uh, about some of these things, which would I, I think the general authorities feel bound to proclaim the doctrine as it's understood by you know kind of the leadership and the majority that the body of of the church right now, but then also recognizing like, hey, like this this is also tough that there are some of these areas where where the doctrine lands and the way that it rubs up against real life experience. There's mm -hmm. there's some friction there. Yeah, yeah. We we were just um, we just finished George Hanley's book about Lo Benyon, and it's reminding me of this thing that Lo Benyon talks about when it comes to Revelation. He says that that um, he thinks that Revelation actually always has two parts. Like one is the content, and that's all I've ever heard. I mean, that's how I've understood Revelation. But he says, in addition to the content, it's also this indescribably uplifting love that is manifested in the fact that God is revealing something. And, and so 
we have a responsibility to continue to reciprocate that love by working out the revelation's potential. And we do that continuously, you know, throughout time. And I, I love that way of looking at it because it felt like part of the gift and the responsibility of being a church that is, is open to God's continuing voice is that we're talking about what it all means constantly. And like, we're probably, and we're, we're growing and evolving. And as opposed to just feeling like, it's over. Like it's, it's sealed and it was given and we move on and, and have to metabolize whatever came. It feels like, it feels like part of that love that God is giving should come through us. And it might look like wrestling and we can be part of that continuing revelation and continuing restoration. But it, but it, I feel like in real life, when you're sitting and listening to conference, I think you can feel, it's just sad. Like you can feel like your family's an exception. And it's scary because it feels like it's the only thing that matters to you. And it feels like that's the thing that is maybe being threatened. Like it's the thing yeah. that maybe they're not going to be able to have. And it's the only thing that they care about. So I, I guess I would just love for you to talk about for someone who is all in, who is just like, I am here and I love this church and I love my family and I don't want to go to <laughs> heaven without them, you know, then what? Yeah, Totally. I mean, I, I had, um, uh, at dinner last week with with some folks who you know like rock ribbed died in the wool lifetime uh members of the church who have raised families that they now have adult children and obviously like almost every family in the church uh those adult children you know the, several of them have, have made uh different choices in terms of their relationship to the church and uh, some are in some are out and um, and to, to hear these these parents, I mean, these are like the pillars upon which like the church has been built over over the yes. past the couple of generations. These type yeah. of people, um, and it's as I heard them talk about this, and they were wrestling with it with the same kind of emotion that you just were, uh, Aubrey. And and it's it just struck me is they're wrestling with it precisely because of what the church has taught us all about families. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's precisely because of the love we have for our families. Not not that Mormons are the only people who love their families, right? But we 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 lend a theological weight to it that that, that doesn't exist in in other churches. And and I think most people hope and expect and kind of visualize heaven as being with their families, right? But we have this theology yeah. and this doctrine uh, around that that defines it. And and so so when. You know, when real life looks different than than the images we had, uh, or or the portrait that's often painted over the the pulpit, uh, it it feels really really tough. And um, it's it. My experience is that in most like one on one conversations. Like church leaders and other church members are like really sensitive to, to to those kinds of individual circumstances, and so that's why it can sometimes feel jarring when when we hear a talk over the pulpit, whether it be in our ward, whether it be in general conference, that again lays out this doctrine in in a kind of straightforward. Sometimes you know some people everybody responds differently to tone, but some people might hear it as kind of stern, uh, and and so forth, and and it's like that. That doesn't sound like my family, right? It it it's like I know God loves my kids. I know God loves my family. I know that you know I've been promised that that our family can be uh, together, and um, so I think that's where the pain point is, right? It's it's between 
this deep love that we have for our families, which has been fed by the testimonies of the gospel that we have, preached by the very by by the very prophets uh, who, whose messages sometimes then 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 cause some pain because our life doesn't line up with that. And so that's 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 where the pain comes. Right? If if it was something we didn't care about, right? Yeah. Either e- either we didn't care about our families or we didn't care about what the prophet said, then there wouldn't be a problem. Right. Yep. It's 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 because we love this all so much. It, it it's so much a part of our identity that the that those points of friction um create so much heat uh and and pain in our hearts. Yeah. I wanna I wanna ask, I totally agree with what you're saying. And there's so many ways in which my uh you know, my my Mormonism has informed my Mormonism, you know, not yeah. just not just in this <laughs> realm but like when i first you know um started struggling with with doubt you know 13 and i don't know if i want to say struggle but when i first started experiencing doubt 13 14 years ago i think a lot of it was because of like the integrity that i had been brought up with you know in in the church specifically you know going week in week out and like this this concept of honesty for example was so so important to be ingrained in me because of what i had been taught in church and i started to wonder if i was seeing that same honesty, you know, in church history or institutionally or whatever. And so I think, I, I think that tension, it just, it's just like, in a, it's inescapable. Um, but I, I want to also engage a little bit, a little bit more, the theology of President Nelson's talk specifically when I re so I, and like, I was tempted to take this question in a, in a direction where like, we could maybe talk around the sort of final buzzer nature of it and say, well, that you don't necessarily have to read that into it. I personally, and maybe I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, but I personally think it might be a little bit disingenuous to not read a final buzzer into it. Um, but then you look at the teachings of Christ in the New Testament, it, like with the prodigal son, for instance, and it just seems like there's no, there's no final buzzer there. It's like as long as, uh, as long as it takes, it seems like God wants to be there waiting with with open arms. And so I don't know. Do you do you think well do you do you read a final buzzer here and is that theology um set in stone? Like is that like is this a is this a shift that we're undergoing like are things not necessarily is doctrine changing in in the sense that is eternal uh is eternal truth changing but is our understanding uh changing will it or will it continue to? Yeah, well, I, th- I think this is where um, it's it's kind of like which verse of scripture you pull out, right? Yeah. Or or which quote from a prophet you pull out, because yeah, there's a lot of the final final buzzer language, right? I mean, this life is the time to prepare to meet God. This, you know, um, yeah. uh, uh, versus you know the prodigal son, or or versus uh, uh, you know section one thirty eight. This really expansive vision of the redemption of of the dead, and and so, you know, it's, it's like the title of of Kate Holbrook's book. Both things are true. Yeah. Uh, at, at, at at the same time, and even in President Nelson's talk, I'm going to point you back to the footnotes. The footnotes really are the best place. <laughs> awesome. uh, uh, in 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 the in the footnotes, uh, footnote seven, he says where he's talking about the importance of repentance right now, today, etc. He says. It may prove to be easier to repent and progress spiritually here while our, our spirit is united with our body than in the next world between the time we die and are resurrected. It may prove to be easier. That I, is interesting. Yeah. Man, these footnotes. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you. 
<laughs> uh, and and so there's a kind of like implication, you know, yeah. recognizing this tension again. All this yeah. language of urgency, like repent now. Jesus says that, right? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. Right? Like, don't dilly dally. Come follow me. Like seriously, leave your nets behind, folks. Right? Um, uh, and the prodigal son. Right? Yeah. Well, what I'm getting from that footnote, Patrick, is um, when it says it may prove to be easier to repent and progress spiritually here, there's an unavoidable implication that it is possible to yeah. repent and progress spiritually there. Am I that, am I reading that wrong? Well, that that is our doctrine. That is section 138. That is Joseph F. Smith's vision of the redemption of the dead. It is our doctrine that people can repent uh, in the next life. It's interesting that President Oaks is talk when he's talking ab- about section 138, he he qualifies it in a really interesting way, and there's no footnote there, so I don't know exactly what he's thinking. But in a parenthetical, he he's talking about, well, he says, the Book of Mormon teaches that this life is the time for us to prepare to meet God. Uh, but that challenging limitation to this life was given a hopeful context, parentheses, at least to some extent for some reasons, by or to, to, for some persons by what the Lord revealed to President Joseph F. Smith. So he qualifies that this life is time to is the time mm-hmm. to prepare to meet God by saying Joseph F. Smith receives this vision of the redemption of the dead. And then he qualifies that by saying to some extent for some persons. And I don't know exactly what he what he means yeah. by that, right? So so just here within the very text of these talks that that had so much finality to you know in terms of the language that that's how so, it resonated with so many people. There are, there are still these sort of cracks and fissures and gray area and like we're still wrestling with the theology and and how do we how do we line up the urgency of repent now with an infinite and eternal atonement right with no limits on either of those things that's that's what I see these talks doing is like wrestling with these these frankly competing visions of of salvation I now I think you know. In, in in God's mind, there's there's a way to like reconcile all these things, right? Again, both things can be true, um, but but on their face, these are th- th- these look like they're they're in tension with one another. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious because you work with so many students and and with so many kids in Gen Z, and I I just wonder, do you see one of these messages especially resonating with that generationally? My sense among the ones I talked to, and of course, it'd be hugely different. Every, you know, there's, there's yeah. a lot of them. Um, but uh, but my sense is like in their hearts, it's like the prodigal son vision. Yeah. Uh, and then what they hear a lot at church is more of like that this time, this life is the time to to prepare to meet God. All right. And yeah. so so they so they're experiencing this kind of betwixt and between uh, uh, tension as well. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, so, I mean, do you see a, do you see a way forward for us just as the, as the lay members of the church? I mean, we talk so much about how we, we are the church, right? Like right. The, the, the ward members and your neighbors and you know, that it's not, it's not Salt Lake City that is the church, but, but do you, can you imagine a picture where we're sort of uh, wrestling with this in a super productive way, like in a way that will make, that will actually bring us to to Christ, as opposed to become an obstacle to our our progress together, and, and in creating Zion. Well, I, for for me, I, that's such a good question. I I, I would, uh, I think we should 
be aware of the tension. I I, I I don't like when we when we just um selectively read scripture and uh and and prophetic teaching and just like pretend this whole other thing doesn't even exist. Yeah. Right. Because what that does is it gives space for people to occupy that space for us, right? To yeah. to sort of claim that space. So so I don't want to cede any part of the gospel to somebody else. I want to be able to embrace the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And and so so I think it's whenever we, given the circumstance, given the message, we might lean in one direction more than the other, but I think we always have to recognize that there's another side of the coin, right? So, so there might be there might be a time uh, where I need to hear the message, or I feel inspired to deliver the message, you know, to, to whoever, a, a friend, my family, the the young men, and you know, I'm, I'm priest quorum advisor, maybe over the pulpit of like, hey, like what we do really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christ said, come follow me. That that includes commitment, right? Discipleship re- includes a radical reorientation of your life, right? Repentance is one of the core principles of the gospel. Like, hey, you know, this, this matters. And, you know, it's an infinite yeah. and eternal atonement where Christ's arms are always open, right? Yeah. Um, or the other way is like, hey, wow, you know, don't we have an amazing loving God who's created a plan of salvation in which he wants to save all the works of his hands? That's one of the, the lines from section 76, right? It doesn't get any more expansive than that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so absolutely rest, revel, uh, um, you know, uh, enjoy the, the liberty that comes from, from being in a relationship with such a loving God. And guess what? God also wants you to be better. Right. And, 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 and so I think we, we just, um, it, 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 I don't think we should be paralyzed by the paradox. We, we should use it constructively and recognize that, that God has always given us both sides of the coin because he wants us to, he wants to love us and he wants us to be better than, than we are today. I love that answer. And, and, and there were definitely, there were messages that totally lit me up at conference that just, they were, there were a couple of talks that I just felt like they were the best talks I'd ever heard. I just, for right now where I am, I just loved them. And like, it felt good to my soul, but I can totally see how hearing these, hearing multiple voices is probably more productive for me, like in, from a moral development standpoint, than than hearing, you know, one perfect message that just goes down easy. Like this, this is when there's just enough tension that I can resonate in some uh, with some talks and I feel resistance to some, like that causes bigger conversations. And, and I feel like my, you know, it needs my whole heart and my brain. And if it were easy, I know that it would, it would, I wouldn't do that. So, so I can see that there's value here. It just feels like sometimes it's a relief to have permission to massage it a little bit and, and have like continue that conversation instead of just trying to metabolize it quietly or or like because you feel that shame like you talked about you feel I think that can be a really painful experience and I think it's it's fine to attend to that pain right why why is this mm-hmm. so painful for me right now what is it was was it the substance was the delivery was it the framing mm-hmm. um was it um was that message really for me uh you know we, we can mm-hmm. ask ourselves all those those kinds of questions and then also ask, why did he or she deliver the message in in that way? Um, is is uh, how would I have taught that doctrine? Do I do I believe that doctrine? How would I have taught that doctrine? 
and and so I think for us to 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 really wrestle with that, um, to to be able to name and identify the pain, and and then do something with it, uh, and that 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 might be one way to mm-hmm. to work through it. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Patrick. I, I, that's a great idea. You love it. And maybe maybe just to close here, I'm curious if you could sort of maybe paint a vision. And this goes back a little bit to our sort of opening question, you know, who is the church for? Like what are what is the project of the of the restoration? What are we what are we all doing here? Let's yeah, if you could paint a vision like if we if we stay engaged in this tension. Um we acknowledge it, we work through it, we feel pain, we feel joy. Um we engage it not just alone but with our fellow community members. What can we get out of that? Where where could where could this go? Well, hopefully, it's always going towards Zion, right? It's 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 going towards a community that that embraces the the difference of God's creation, the 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 difference that's um, that that our heavenly parents themselves fostered within their family. Uh, presumably, they could have made us all clones. Uh, they they didn't. Um, and, uh, actually we don't even believe that. I mean, our doctrine is that we could have never been clones yeah, because yeah. we were all, we're co-eternal, uh, with yeah. them. So strike that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, so we live in a, in a universe that's predicated on difference and, and what Christ is trying to do is, is to, 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 to bring, to bring us all into one, right. To at one right. Mm-hmm. To, to, to bring all of those good gifts and bring them into in, into a world uh, where all those things are consecrated towards one another's good, and yeah. so, so I think the great project, the, the the twin projects of Mormonism are Zion and exaltation. It's about creating communities here uh, on this earth in which there's no, you know, male or female or rich or poor or bond or free or Jew and Gentile. Right, we're all one in Christ. At the same time that, that that we all maintain all of our good gifts and all those things, um, and we aim towards, you know, uh, we're never going to solve all the problems in this life. It is why we have a lively hope in 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 life in Christ after we die. Uh, it is why we look forward to the rest uh, to the resurrection, um, be, because we know that that's when Christ will wipe away all our tears. And so, so if so, so we keep Zion and exaltation uh, together. Mm-hmm. And 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 we do both projects at the same time. Beautiful, Patrick. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's 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 such an important conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a good way forward. So we appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Patrick Mason. Again, we really encourage you to check out Patrick's books, including Restoration, if you'd like to hear more from him. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews, and it really does help us to get the word out about Faith Matters, and we appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.